Born in the 80s and raised in the 90s, we are the Inner Light Project. We saw Optimus Prime die in our childhoods to the tears of many, and we also witnessed the destruction of Batman by way of director Joel Schumacher. Again, we are the Inner Light Project, and today we are so delighted to bring you a discussion on the recent blockbuster release, Justice League. And we will be discussing both versions of that movie today. First of all, the hero that nobody wanted, the 2017 version, directed by Joss Whedon. And then we're also going to discuss the hero everybody deserved, the 2021 release of Justice League. Uh, So we're going to mainly share some of our thoughts on the movie and also uh, share with you all some things about the the, the soundtrack, the music, as well as some of the Christian connections. We are four guys that go to church together, so we do plan to bring all of that to you guys. So I'm just going to give you all the floor and let whoever share their thoughts on the uh, whether it's the old version or if we want to go into the new version and just kind of take it from there. All right. Well, I'll start. This is Derek, by the way. I'm also joined by my good friend Doug Bailey and Nathan Tolley here. Yo. It's good to be back in the saddle, isn't it, guys? Yeah. Amen. It seems like it's been a while. It yes. has. There was, I think snow was kind of on the ground last time we did this. Yes. Yep. Boy. It's good to be back. Good to be back. So in order to set this all up, to understand the, the greatness of the 2021 Justice League Director's Cut that we have enjoyed, you got to go back in time to 2017 and talk about the – first initial release of Justice League, which I didn't see in theaters. I actually saw it at home um, on Blu-ray. So, Was it better in Blu-ray? <laughs> there was nothing that could make it better. It was pretty much a hot mess from day one. And I know you guys have definitely got thoughts on that. But just coming out of the, the movie that first time, watching it a few years ago, my initial reaction was, man, that was really all jumbled together. It was just all rushed. Um, there was really no character development with some of the characters, like, um, of course, the cyborg character. I almost got nothing on backstory. Yeah, it's with like 90% him. of his stuff's gone in yeah. the, yeah. the yeah. first version. And um, Flash as well. He yeah. just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. There was no real backstory leading up to him. We sort of knew a little bit about Aquaman, mm-hmm. but yeah, he was just kind of thrown in there together. Didn't know anything really about the main villain, a Steppenwolf, in the movie, and it was just—it was all rushed. You could tell. Yeah. Um, that was my initial reaction coming out of it. it. Was like, gosh, this could have been a whole lot better if they would have spent some time actually developing these characters, building the backstory. And I was really disappointed. What? Do you, what? What were your feelings? Well, what it reminded me of is, you know, a big blockbuster movie comes out, and it's great. But then you go to a video store and you see somebody has made a knockoff version like, of it. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Because they, they've recently done the same thing with King Kong or um, Godzilla versus King Kong. Apparently, it's lizard versus gorilla. <laughs> oh, no. Just, so I that, that's, that's what it's that. like. I mean, literally, it's nothing like. It has the same characters, mostly, but... It's totally different movies. Rented at Magic Show for 99 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like the 2017 version to me, I felt like, especially with, if you want to call it special effects, I felt like I was watching a failed 
college videography students <laughs> project. <laughs> yeah, and, Henry Cavill was just yeah. he was he looked bad. I know they yeah. were trying to cover up the mustache and all that. It was just very uh, no Doug. Very we're, we're going to talk about this mustache. Ugh. And I mean, I get it. Snyder had a personal tragedy, which we'll talk about later. And you know, midway through, you got to hand the reins off. It wasn't even midway through. Oh yeah, like literally, they filmed. He filmed ninety percent of the movie. I stand corrected. Yeah, that's right. And they totally trashed eighty nine percent of his footage. Yeah, and refilmed it all. Mm. So, yeah. I, sorry, Preston. No. I didn't mean to. Oh no, no, that's a, what that's Josh an excellent Weed point. Was thinking yeah. Doug, weigh in, man. Yeah. You've been silent. Uh well, that's a first. <laughs> oh man. Ah. Uh, uh, Ah, ah, ah. Wait, is the Joker in the room? Oh, what's going on? It's a good thing no one's sitting between Hold y'all. This card in our deal. This is where Doug's going to do the disappearing pencil trick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three guys in a bar. Okay. <laughs> so when you see, you come to a point where you watch Man of Steel, you watch Wonder Woman. You, I mean, you watch the Dark Knight trilogy. You watch all these movies, and you got a certain way you think everything's going to look. And then all of a sudden, when you see Justice League, it's like somebody filmed it in the back lot of Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to Photoshop out Superman's face. Like, what? What's it was so going distracting. Was, you couldn't even focus on the movie because you were like, "It looks yeah. so bad." Well, it looked like a bee stung him in the face. Yeah, he was well, just like swelling up. Before I learned about <laughs> bad the, Botox the, yeah, or something. Before I learned about the Mission Impossible mustache situation, I remember sitting there watching it and thinking, "What is wrong with his face? Like, <laughs> like the bee sting, or did did he have a procedure done that we don't know about? Or what?" And then when I read up on the mustache thing, I was sitting there thinking. There have been situations like that in the past with other actors, and it has not been that horribly done. No. Well, they could have just put some makeup on it, like, you know, some uh, Joker mustache on later. Caesar Romero in the original 1960s Batman. Well, he refused to shave his mustache, so they put thick makeup makeup on it. Yes. Well, what I don't understand is literally the mustache had nothing to do with Mission Impossible. Like, Nothing, <laughs> but yet it was in his contract to yeah. keep rabbit trail. The most yeah, <laughs> anyway, I guess a villainesque look. It's it was mm. dumb. Yeah. So anyway, I mentioned the backstory and the characters that were very thinly drawn in the narrative. Um, what did you guys think about that? I mean, we knew almost nothing about Cyborg coming in. It was Flash, all very unless you'd rushed, watched the CW rushed. series. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was very, very rushed. <clears throat> what was it you were saying one time, Nathan, about? You felt like they were trying to be Marvel, but they were playing catch up, and yeah, so they, they were, didn't spend time developing their characters. They yeah. just pushed it out there so they could compete. Yeah, they were trying to do you know ten years worth of work like Marvel did in in one movie, pretty much. <laughs> and I know we've talked about this before: is that DC doesn't have to be Marvel to mm-hmm. be good. No, right? Yeah. Like they can take their characters in a completely different, darker direction. And it be very successful and be very. They don't have to follow the Marvel formula. Well, there's certain. They've things, got their own stuff. When you treat certain things like this subject here, when you treat that like it's a competition against somebody else, you fail. Yeah. And I that, and because and DC and Marvel are the way I see it, two very different pathways of storytelling, character development, and different in, mm-hmm. in both in good Absolutely. ways. Mm-hmm. 
and and they work for themselves. And when you try to cross over and be like the other in, in that instance, and, and this also goes like for artistic sense or purpose, you end up losing if you can't develop your own way. We'll like, see. And, and you be you. Yeah. We'll see. And what what why it didn't work with Joss Whedon is he did such an amazing job with Avengers yeah. and uh, Age of Ultron. Yes, but he then did. he tries to bring that lighter tone of the Marvel movies into the DC universe. And yeah. none of the DC movies, well, the newer DC movies don't have that. They have that darker tone and it works for them. Right. So I always felt yes. like DC was grittier, grittier, darker. Yeah. Even when you go all the way back to, we're not talking about the original Batman television series. Obviously that was hokey and, and eighties and after. How about that? I'm talking yeah. about you get, you get to even like Batman, the animated series like that we watched as kids. Like yeah. I remember my mom not yeah. wanting me to watch that cause she oh, felt really? like it was dark. <laughs> well, I mean, you Preston, know, I, but it, you know, I sent that uh, clay face scene from the animated series yep. and it was very disturbing back then because he, he started like twisting and freaking out cause he was, I don't know what was happening to him, but yeah. it was very dark, but it, but you go back even to the nineties, even then, with the exception of the Joel Schumacher debacles, <laughs> right? But DC had this dark undercurrent to it, right? And it didn't need to go that direction yeah. to be successful. Like humor works in the Marvel context because they were starting with a blank slate, yeah. right? And they could do right. that in '08 when they started with Iron Man. But with DC, they didn't. They were. It seemed like they were violating their own principle to try and make it work. Yeah. yeah. To to borrow what worked with the Avengers and bring it over. Yeah, that's exactly. And it yeah. just didn't didn't pan out. I, I think that's the reason why, because of the Joss Whedon version, I think that's the reason why I didn't even care to see Aquaman. Because I felt like all he was doing in the Justice League movie was joking. Like he mm -hmm. was always some one-liners. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't like that in the Zack Snyder version. So I'll tell you, for me, the biggest disappointment of the whole movie was not the botched CG. It was not even the rush character development. Like, the whole thing that I wanted to see more than any other scene was the resurrection of Superman, and that was so terribly executed in the movie. Oh. When that went off, I was like, man, they really fumbled the ball there. That was just so I was devastated so because, as Doug knows what I'm about to say, the black suit and the silver chest. Yeah. That's what I was expecting to see, and when that did not happen, it was it was one of the biggest disappointments. Because in the comics, correct me if I'm wrong, experts here, but in the comics, when Superman is resurrects re resurrected, number one, he is clearly more powerful than before because he's in this Kryptonian coma. The suit changes to black, and he has the silver S. Yeah, and he has a mullet, but that's beside. Yeah, that. he did have a mullet. <laughs> Ouch. He didn't have long hair. <laughs> well, they was uh, it a Joe Dirt mullet or was it like a MacGyver mullet? <laughs> no, it I was mean, more like a MacGyver mullet. Yeah, okay. MacGyver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say <laughs> that's yes. On the, that, yeah, that's a that's a manicured <laughs> mullet. Yeah, he's just very suave. Almost yeah. had a roll of duct tape, but <laughs> suave. When I noticed in some of the '90s comics, Superman had really long hair. Yeah, they yeah. kept they you kept know. it for a while. Okay. But. Well, like when he. Got the black suit when he first come back. He, everything hadn't come back to him yet. His memories hadn't fully come back, and he re felt like he didn't. He hadn't earned the suit he had yet. So that was another reason for the black suit. And it was a. Uh, there was a part of a healing like a suit uh, for his body. Mm -hmm. 
like a hyperbaric type thing. What it did, it helped him. So what did you think about the resurrection of Superman scene, Doug? It was horrible. What what for you yeah. made it so bad? The twenty seventeen one, not twenty twenty one. Yeah. We'll just clarify. Well, you go back to when and most any comic book fans remember when they hyped up when Superman died in the comics. That was like one of the biggest things DC ever did. That was a big deal. They they had the whole you had the white book the black book, and they had a whole series of him coming back, his resurrection. When was that, Doug? Was that like in the 80s or 90s? 92? Early, early 90. 93? Yeah. Like, I want to say it was literally, I know this I is say totally off the topic, but I think it was around the time Kurt Cobain died. Like, it was like around 92, 93. Like, yeah. it was literally around the same time. Yeah. It was Because like Cobain was like 93, 94. Yeah. Because yeah. it was like on the news. People were waiting in line to get their copy. Yeah. yeah. And... So you had it in your head how you wanted it to look. And when they did it, you're like, what is it? I mean, it was like it was like the garbage pail kid version <laughs> of <laughs> That's a wow. deep cut right yeah. there. Man. You know, some movie. of you that young ones, you're gonna have to burn. Google that one. <laughs> Those are like y'all don't even know about garbage pail kids. Come on. Those are Doug cards. with the deep cut. Man. And and you just know how bad it is now from seeing it, the twenty twenty one. How it when they actually bring it back and was how, filmed. Yes, how you really yeah. and and Spider, not Spider Man. Gosh, Batman oh, universe. Batman man. versus Superman set that up so well. Oh. Like they had that softball teed up, ready to knock out of the park with the second movie, and you were like going into this one knowing that was coming, and you were like, you knew that was going to be the whole central point of the movie, and then it was just like. Uh, and that right there yeah. is what made the, the experience of 2017 Justice League so much worse was the buildup mm -hmm. of the previous yeah. two movies. It was like watching the Ghostbusters all the way up through the 90s, and all of a sudden, oh, they're coming out with a new Ghostbusters, and you put the tape in, it's Care Bears. What happened? It went, <laughs> it went from a dark Someone taped over show. my Ghostbusters, yeah. yeah. And then you think, and all of a sudden, it's these bright colors, and now this thing, what, what am I watching here? It, it's... <laughs> Apples and oranges, it really was. And we all know we've discussed this um, in many episodes and in our own personal discussions that any superhero movie is only going to be as good as the villain, right? Mm -hmm. If the villain is great, compelling, has a really interesting backstory and competes with the, the power and maybe even is even in some ways more powerful than the hero, you're drawn in. Especially the the villains that you can identify with, um, but with Steppenwolf, he was just boring. In he the was just face like you didn't even care. No, like who is like, this what is guy? he here to do? He it doesn't so even matter. Weird. He just looked weird. It, just, it was he just manifested. I mean, it was like yeah, a guy I mean, trying to like it was like a cosplayer or something. I mean, he trying looked to play like the a villain. I mean, it was a Longhorn fan or something. Yeah, you know, like, and in the comics, he's a pretty cool guy. He's got an yeah. interesting story. Yeah. Uh, which it gets fleshed out yes. in the 2021, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about here in a minute. You find out why yeah. he's the way he is. Yeah. So, anybody else want to take a parting shot at 2017 Justice League before uh, we, we leave it in the dustbin of history? Well, <laughs> it's yeah. it's not really... The only, What I was going to mention is the, the scene when he Superman comes back and they're fighting him at his memorial there when mm -hmm. he's standing there. That part where he's they're about to fight him is literally the one of the only scenes of Zack Snyder's. And if you look at uh, Superman, he looks normal. 
But then the rest of the movie, he's all messed up. But mm-hmm. just in that memorial scene, that is Zack Snyder's filmed version. That's I feel like I guess Joss Whedon just literally just took that and like, all right, let's film ninety nine percent more movie. Wow. Well, he probably you know how many actors are in that one shot, so we'd have to pay this and this and this to get yeah. these people yeah. back together. That was another character we didn't get zero development on was Flash, and I like the Flash. Mm-hmm. Unless you watch yeah. the CW series and then right. and then you knew his backstory, yeah, but, but even then yeah. it can be different from yeah. the television show to the movie. Do y'all remember the Flash TV show from the early nineties? Yes. Well, you know the Short-lived. funny thing is he plays the dad, the dad on, on the CW the CW version. No way. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow, because I know he was in Neverending Story two, but I didn't realize. I don't he, think I saw that one. Oh yeah, he was in that. That one didn't do well as the first. But anyway, I just wanted to plug so, that in. So Justice League. 2017 was so bad. I watched it one time. Same here. I had no desire. So forgettable. And I had no desire after that. I was not even to the. I'll see a movie and it might be even mediocre, and I'll be like, I'm going to give it another chance in a few years. I want to watch that again. But even after finishing it in 2017, I was like, man, I just wasted like three hours. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. even care to give it a chance again. It was like watching Independence Day Resurgence. Oh, I didn't see oh. it. So. See, and I, oh, I told uh, you not to waste your time with that's, it. So that's that's, uh, that's oh, why. <laughs> by the way, that's uh, another Doug's favorite movies, but you know. <laughs> oh. He, I like that there's, movie. I, I there's an episode I, idea. I, no judgment. No judgment. Well, okay. Let yeah, me, let not me, the person, <laughs> just a movie. Let me say this. I actually did watch Justice League We'll say twice. I actually did go back and watch it again because I was like, um, maybe, but not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did go watch it again, and it's it's, it's it's just as yeah bad as it was before. Yeah, yeah. some things like yeah. I would rather go back and watch Suicide Squad. Mm, that's oh, insane. Okay. Yeah. okay, some things need yeah. to be left in the past, yeah, like left alone, and just move on. Heal, move on, yeah. find closure, <laughs> accept it. <laughs> You will live again. Now, I'll, I'll add detail later, but the the only thing that barely kept the it, Justice League, the Joss Whedon version, that barely kept its head above water was the fact that Danny Elfman did the music for it. Now, Danny Elfman's the same guy. He's Beetlejuice? Tim, every movie that Tim Burton does, mm-hmm. Danny Elfman does. So anything that you've seen Tim Burton do, you've heard Elfman. Batman 89. Batman 89. Batman, Batman Returns. Returns but Nightmare I just, Before Christmas. I feel like it just didn't go with... And we'll, and we'll get to that. Uh, it too. wasn't yeah. bad music. I'm just saying it just right. didn't go with it. And that's a really good point because there, there are some reasons that... That those that you're experiencing those types yeah. of feelings about the music because I had very similar opinions. Oh, and just one last thing. Um, and if you watch the Joss Whedon version versus the Zack Snyder version, um, you can definitely tell Ben Affleck really gave up when he had to come back to do reshoots because oh. he's like he's gained more weight. He's not mu- you know he doesn't oh, have muscles man. anymore. He's just like he's got a big beard. He's like I don't care anymore. Let's just film the movie. <laughs> But yeah, you can definitely tell. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we want a body shame. No, no. <laughs> so, what are you trying to say, Nathan? I think nothing <laughs> at all. We're going to take a break just, on just that up. one. <laughs> um, I feel like we've uh, beat a dead horse now as much as we can. We'll leave. There's nothing left. We'll leave 2017 yeah. Justice know, League in the that. past. But we give you that context to help understand why the 2021 version was so good or at least in our opinion so good so we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll hit up the Zack Snyder verse 
version. Well, now we are back and much more delighted to be able to talk about the version of Justice League that everybody loves, the hero that we deserve, the 2021 release on HBO Max. And so guys, what did y'all think of the 2021 release? So my initial reaction after I watched it was I picked up my phone, I texted Doug, (laughs) and I texted him, I said, dude, (laughs) that was amazing. And he's like, I'm watching it again. (laughs) (laughs) So the complete opposite reaction after watching the 2017 version, but I felt like it was so epic. I mean, it's four hours long yeah. and change. Yeah. Man, they just packed so much in there. You got incredible backstory on characters that were almost uh, very little fleshed out in the, in the older version. You saw Cyborg. His story was... Was an awesome story. He played a huge role. Yeah, because it was like, what, six chapters? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody actually got their own kind of origin story like chunk. Yeah, everybody got got fleshed out. Um fixed a lot of the CG problems that plagued the first one. It was just beautifully shot. I mean, some of those scenes of slow motion. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing how that was put together. Well, the flash scene where he's saving saving that girl, he touches yeah. that glass and he watch it break. Yeah. And he runs out of his shoes. Or, that was yeah. cool. So I mean, it was some serious eye candy, but of course, you know, that's not good enough to make a movie. But I felt like where it was so successful was really fleshing out the characters, building up those backstories, making you care. Whereas the first one, you were like, eh, they're just fighting some alien that I don't know anything about. Yeah. Could, could you really see yourself sitting through four hours of a Josh Wheaton version? Oh, oh I don't think I have the strength. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, give me Suicide Squad again. <laughs> so, Nathan, what was your first initial reaction then? Um, well, when I first heard it, it was like four hours long. I was like, wow. This is like two movies or, you know, one and a half, whatever. But, no, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I mean, I can't really even think of any problems I had with it. Uh, it actually made me go back and like the characters I hated from the the mm-hmm. first version. Mm-hmm. Um, Steppenwolf, he was just—he was a gold. phenomenal villain great. in the movie. Yes, yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't say you would necessarily feel sorry for him, but like, it's like he—you could see the pain in him. He's trying to gain Darkseid's uh, trust back mm-hmm. by trying to take over, basically take over the Earth. Or, so fill us in on the backstory of that, guys. Like, yeah, who is Steppenwolf? What is he trying to do in the movie? And you, what is his motivation? Um, well, he's trying to he's he's trying to get the the mother boxes, and that's another thing that they cha- that was different from the Joss Whedon version. Is he actually? Um, sorry, I'm I'm trying to think. Um, he didn't call it mother all the time like the Joss Whedon version. Like I felt like he was trying to. I really don't know what I'm trying to say because I've got it in my head, but I, I don't help him, Doug. Help me, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, the backstory 
what I get from it. Okay, you think of Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf was like Darkseid's second in command, his right-hand guy. He failed, and he failed him, and that's the only chance you get with Darkseid. And he told him, okay, the only way you're ever going to be standing beside me again, you owe me... 10,000 worlds was, or something It was more like than that. that. I thought it was like 50,000. 50,000? I think it was 50,000. He had to yeah. conquer 50,000 worlds. So, but he knew they were looking for... The anti-life equation. Anti-life equation. Mm-hmm. Which is, you see it, it's that omega symbol he's got in his chest. Um, oh, and, and, and when it comes to the anti-life equation, forget about the infinity zones. That is that is child's play compared to the anti-life equation. Ooh, now that's saying something right there. Wow, I mean it's true. It's fighting words. Ooh. <laughs> Don't let Disney find out you said that. Woo, go ahead and pull on that thread. You've got that well, going. It, it can do so much more. I mean, you can you can um, create different realities. You can you can. Uh, it's like I said. It's nothing compared to the Infinity Stones. That's that's like that's child's play. But I mean, you can. Go back in time. You can rewrite rewrite the whole reality. Um, you can bring people back to life. I mean, it's just all kinds of different things. It's not just single stones that can do powerful things, but it's so much more. I don't know. So I that's what Dark Side's after. Yeah, yes. and it's written into planet Earth. Earth. Planet Earth. The equation. The equation is written in Earth. That's why you'd see him. It would show it when he struck the ground with mm-hmm. that force. You'd see. The writing. So essentially, he had to pretty much destroy the planet to get to it. To get to it. That's what the whole point of the mother boxes. Yes. Yep. So the mother boxes were stationed among the different races. So yeah, was the, it the humans, the uh, Amazonians, Amazonians. They had, and then the uh, seafaring, the um, Aquaman's race. Yes. Aquaman. Atlanteans. Yes. Come yes. on, I'm not even comic book <laughs> guy. I had to, you uh, had my mind go blank. I, have, I haven't and read see, anything DC in forever. So. And see, Darkseid had already been to Earth to collect it. Yeah, and that was awesome. That mm-hmm. prologue scene, mm-hmm. it, yes. was, it reminded me of the prologue to Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. At the very beginning yeah. of Fellowship, when it shows you the, like, maybe 10 minutes there, the setup of Sauron yeah, and the Battle of the Ring. Such a great yes. sequence, yeah. And how awesome that was to set it up. Well, they did that right with the 2021 Justice League, and it made it so epic because you had Zeus and you yep. had Ares. Ares, you had the Hercules, all the different Green races Lantern. coming Green together Green to fight Darkseid, and it was like, whoa, now this thing matters. Well, see, they, they had that. That battle, I don't know why I'm doing quotations. You, uh, you guys can't see it. This is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get it. We get it now. Um, yeah. They had that version in the Joss Whedon version, but it, Dark Side was not there. It, so it was a completely different version. Mm-hmm. So it, it was uh, Steppenwolf that was basically playing the, the Dark Side in that version. But that was so cool how they brought that in and showed you that I mean, it was really played down. Dark side in the had he had been defeated, and so yeah, he was they shamed. All come so, together. Yeah. No wonder he yeah. wants to come back and take Earth again. All the heroes of Earth. This is this is the one planet that he lost. He yeah. lost here, and, and that uh, tells you how much it takes to take him down. Because right. Ares buried his axe. I mean, kind of like the way you know Thor did, mm-hmm. but he buried his axe and uh, aim for the hood. <laughs> Dark side's neck. <laughs> And he still had scars when they actually saw him. Did you notice that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they, they was looking through the portal at the end, Superman's looking up at him. His neck was all scarred up. 
He always wanted oh. to get back to Earth to win it, but he knew he had to have the boxes, and they hit him. Right. So the boxes are hidden among the three races, and when they synchronize, they, they make uh, something called the Unity. Which it's essentially is, a supercomputer. Right, which the Unity would then be used to cleanse the planet. You know, it's kind of like pressing Control-Alt-Delete on your yeah. computer. It's just, yeah. it's just a, re- a restart. And that's why Kids they get the boxes. Yeah, <laughs> they get the boxes so they can scald the earth so that then on the scalded earth, oh, there's the equation that we need. Yeah. Yeah, because if you notice when they finally they it finally went together at the end, mm-hmm. it totally dis- disintegrated Justice League, exactly. except for Flash, of yeah. course. But I, I thought that was phenomenal, that buildup. It made it so epic. It gave you this huge backstory that you could really sink your teeth into. Yeah, That's pretty cool. How about that scene where after the unity happens when Cyborg sees it and at the and then Flash takes off right then. Yeah. He right that and then you see time coming behind him. I mm-hmm. thought that was just awesome. So we talked about the coolness of the big MacGuffin in the movie and the coolness of Steppenwolf and, and understood his whole motivation, how he's shamed trying to win back his honor. But another great thing about the movie, I thought, was the way that they developed Cyborg, mm-hmm. Flash, and these other side characters that came along. So by now, we've got the Aquaman movie, which we didn't have in 2017, right? Yeah. right. So yeah. we now have the backstory for Aquaman. Yeah. We understand him. But let's talk about Cyborg for a minute, because he played a huge role in the movie. He was, I almost want to say he was kind of like the main character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and wasn't it fitting, Preston? Who is his dad? <laughs> uh, Miles Bennett Dyson. Yes. <laughs> the father of Cyberdyne. The father of Cyberdyne and Skynet. Yeah, so yeah. when Preston was watching it, he was the last one in our group to watch it. He texted that out in our group text. He said... Uh, <laughs> like, how fitting that Miles Dyson create... The, the father of Skynet creates Cyborg. Yeah, and, and I texted back, Skynet lives. Skynet lives. <laughs> Kids, look it up. Terminator 2. That's yep. right. Same actor. But yeah, well, I I thought it was cool the, the origin story with Cyborg and I I think I had a similar feeling of like main character or at least way more significant than the 2017 mm-hmm. version and I mean yeah overall it is a completely different movie and stuff but the the character development and the backstory that they did especially with Cyborg really catapulted him into a way more significant You got role. vested in him. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it exactly. showed he's, he was still, he basically was still human. Like, he was, he went to go help the, the what was it, the mother and the daughter mm-hmm. with the money situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, don't, they didn't show anything like that in the other. So yeah. one thing that was cool about Cyborg is they showed you in the movie just how powerful he is. So yeah. he controls basically all of, computers around the world and that's what his dad says that you could do anything yeah everything from finance to you know traffic patterns and power grids to nuclear arsenals arsenals. i mean just awesome all the information and the ability that he had at his fingertips and so i just thought it was really cool the way they brought that out and of course they use him once he gets into the unity to kind of hack it yeah 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 yeah, the, basically, like the when when his dad sacrificed himself to, I was it trying to? I guess he was trying to he put melt, his heat signature. He had to on heat it. it up. Yeah, yeah. And so that helped. I guess that helped Cyborg to try to uh, track mm-hmm. where it that. went. Yeah. And then his death, I guess, also. Um, in what am I trying to say? And like, not necessarily influence him, but like, 
it was really pivotal. Yes, because, I'm try, like trying to join the team. That's what yeah, I'm trying right, to say. Right, pushed like, him over the edge. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and that's a common theme in a lot of super uh, superhero story threads. Is there's a uh, there's a tragic background. There's a a death of somebody that catapults that person into either the villain or the hero, hero. depending on how they react to that loss. So for Superman, it was the death of Jonathan Kent, mm-hmm. right? For Batman, it's the death of his parents. And we see the same thing again. Cyborg, yeah. he died originally. The car crushed his mother died. Right. And then, and then, then his, his dad, dad sacrificed right. himself. Yeah. And, you know, same thing for Spider-Man with Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. And so many characters have that. But I, I like the way that they showed that for yep. Cyborg because it, it helped you to understand his his pain, his hurt, and what he has to overcome. They made order. him more human. Exactly. Even though he is a cyborg, they made him more human. In yeah. It. And I, I also noticed in uh, the... The original version versus this version, they covered him up more in the Joss Whedon version. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's almost I don't know. It's almost like they just didn't want to show him at all. They wanted to put him in the shadows more, and yeah, I don't so, know. And the actor, yeah. the guy that played Cyborg, I don't even think was was this his debut? Was he had he had he been? I don't recognize him from that? anything else because he did a phenomenal familiar. job. Yeah, you know he was great in it. I mean, speaking Preston's of... looking it up right now. Go ahead, Doug. Well, we go into, you know, the character development. Look what they did with Flash. Just that one scene where he was... Went back and he was trying to get a job as a dog walker. Yeah. You know yeah. that? So, and Flash was like the comic relief of the movie. Yes. And it worked. Yeah. Because but he was I, a young kid. Yeah. But I also did notice he, he had less comic relief than he did in the Joss Whedon version. I mean, True. literally, it was nothing Kind of one of those less is more type things. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it made him more likable in this version. The actor's name is Ray Fisher, and he was in True Detective. Oh, uh, yeah, we were in, talking about that series. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he it's appears in eight episodes of that. I must have been um, of that. The uh, something else called the Astronauts Wives Club, and I think it's a TV that's show. Yeah, there's just like a few little TV like appearances. TV he's, I mean, just looking at this on IMDb, he seems relatively new. He's yeah. not mm-hmm. been in much, but well, what he has been in is he's been definitely got good. a promising career now. Yeah, oh, yeah. that now I do remember he played he played the main character's son in the se- season three season of True three. Detective, yeah. Yeah. which I haven't got yeah. to yet. So okay. Talking about what about Flash? Did we get characters. Flash? Well, I, that's what we were just talking about. Okay. Flash. They talk about character development and how they get to a certain point in the movie where Flash, he had been just like the funny, quirky kid until the point where they were going on the offensive, and he's charging to where he can help Cyborg get into this the. This at the very end. Yeah, and right. he gets shot. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say anything. You think the kid? He would like oh. He, he just, oh, it just knocked the wind out of him, and he's trying to... To me, that seemed like his turning point to where he went, okay, there I'm needed. This is... I'm going to step up. Which, by the way, something I didn't know about him is he has healing power. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah, um, it's the... Well, his metabolism moves so fast. Right. Yeah, I mean, he literally has to eat all the time. Um, well, that Flash show in the early 90s, they had a lot of scenes where yeah. he would eat like bowls of cereal that were like, you know, like a gallon sized bowl, you know, of Wheaties. <laughs> yeah, that you know, suede. And, and then he would like, suede roll, you know, costume on. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be so hot back then. It just... I remember that suede costume. That was a cool costume. But yeah, no, that's that's definitely one of his, his bigger powers. And he uh, it also t- taps into what they call the, the speed force. It's actually also, and I, I get a, a lot of this from the Flash show, is 
it's a like a, a when you say Doug like a living yeah it's a living world not a world but a well it's like outside the known universe kind of and he can tap into it and draw the power through him that's what makes him fast yeah. so there is Get one thing the there is one big difference that I saw with the Flash character from the Josh Whedon version to this version in the Josh Whedon version you remember there's a scene I think there's a scene where Flash comes back through the time space and has a moment there that's with Bruce Batman Wayne. That's Batman versus Superman. That's Batman versus Superman. Yes. Okay. So I mean, Preston, yep. we're just yeah, talking about yeah, we'll yeah, it. Okay. Right. Go with it. Well, where he comes back and he catches and Batman references it when he's sitting there. He says, I was sitting right here when he told me. And what he comes in and says, all you can see is the speed force around him. He's running toward him saying, Lois Lane's the key. So that was the only message you got. But when the Josh Whedon version come out, it was like, what did that mean? Nothing got tied in. But when you see at the end of Zack Snyder's version. Go to the epilogue. Go to the epilogue. You see that version of Flash when he has the. Speed Force armor on and everything. That's the version you see that comes back and gives the warning about Lois Lane. That's when you find out that she ends up passing away. But she's the thing that makes Superman go go, go off his rocker. Yes. Yeah. So I felt like there were two big twists in the movie that we didn't get in the 2017 version, but really made this one. Uh, and the first one was uh, the surprise ending where we see... None other than the Joker, Joker. appear. Jared Leto, Joker. We, yeah. Trying to see yeah. that alternate reality. Yeah. yeah. So what was that all about? Which part of it? Yeah. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's it's almost it's all, well, I was gonna say it's almost like it's still happening. Like it's still going to happen. Because they they made a mention when they were resurrecting Superman in the in the mothership right there. Yeah. The computer said something about like. If we if you go down this route, you're you're altering reality, and we can't go back. Something to that effect. You remember that, right? Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is the when they did that, the Genesis Chamber, when they did that, it created this timeline now where it set Superman on a path where he's going to be bent toward evil. Well, is that what you're saying? Well, what I what I got from it was that when Darkseid got in, in that few in that future mm-hmm. he got the anti-life equation and that's what and killing lois too but that's what he was able to control superman was using the anti-life equation gotcha and that's what turned him evil and so that's why we get the epilogue then exactly so now you see batman joker um dead shot was that dead shot yeah the, yeah yeah dead shot dead shot yeah and so, you see a couple other teaming up together to yeah. try and take him down yeah so and that's like a post-apocalyptic aquaman's world. wife yeah. Yeah. yeah so i guess they're saying it's still going to happen even though he didn't get the, the anti-life or uh, the mother boxes this time he's going to do it himself and it's it's still going to happen if, if nothing changes if they ever give the green light to make more well, movies i don't think that's going well happen. so what did you guys think to. about that i mean joker got a significant little monologue there at the end and it was pretty creepy yeah him and it batman was, man they went after it yeah i thought it was a better representation of the joker oh absolutely uh, and i know you guys all know what i mean there yeah. uh, with 
You, I I think Jared Leto is a fantastic actor, amazing and singer, I, better represent, great representation singer. compared to the, what the the, the uh, Suicide Squad oh, version. Okay, gotcha. that, yeah, the of, tattooed of the eyebrows, Joker. Yeah, the way that I just wanted to clarify, and make sure we weren't talking yeah. about Joaquin Phoenix Joker. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. no. And no. That, as and as awesome as that, that's a whole another conversation. That's a whole other podcast. In Absolutely. a good, yeah, and in a good way because that that's fantastic in and of itself, but. Because I do remember there was a lot of negative criticism about Jared Leto's representation of the Joker in Suicide Squad. Yeah. I mean, you had, I, I mean, he looked like Jaws from James yeah, Bond. Yeah, I mean, he had with, yeah. grills, uh, the tattoos, no eyebrows. Yeah, he was like a gangster or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, seeing him at the end of Justice League. Not a good gangster, no. League, A I've, rapper gangster. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, Ma- if Master P was a Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Make him say, oh. Oh, oh man. There's a spoon. I, like I said, I thought I was looking at Jaws from uh, Roger Moore, James Bond yeah. movies, and I thought he was, I, I was ready for him to say, I believe that's Mr. Gilmore's. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me ask you guys this. In, in that nightmare future, mm-hmm. and you see Joker talking, if you notice, he doesn't have any tattoos. Did no. not notice. <laughs> so I was wondering, do you think that all the tattoos he had in like Suicide Squad were fake, like he was drawing them on? So I'm just wondering. That or Zack Snyder came along and said, hey, we need to do better. No, no, no! I don't. Yeah. I oh, okay. Get that. Okay. It's just, okay. Like yeah. I, I, I was like, huh? He he looks so much better with no tattoos. I mean, he looked he yeah. looked crazy with the long hair. Yeah. Doug's dying to say something. Go ahead, Doug. Here we go. I, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. And that. What, what did you to like? Me, to me, that put his version of Joker back in the conversation okay, gotcha. of Jokers that are at top tier. Actors who play Joker. So let's break it down here because every generation gets their own different Joker, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The 1960s version I mean, was you know, kinda, Doug had yeah. the 1960s kinda, version, kind of kooky <laughs> and, and different villain aspects, right? Because yeah, you just and we got Jack Nicholson, yeah, who was 1980s a, version that would which be a was, gangster Joker, yeah, but traditional gangster, yeah, yeah, like not like 20s, 40s, 50s, 40s, yeah, yeah, that's like a, a Al Capone, right? yes, Joker. Then we got Heath Ledger Joker. Which was the want to watch the world burn, the anarchist, anarchist yeah. version of Joker. Mm-hmm. Then we got Joaquin Phoenix version of Joker, which is God, the sociopath. Sociopath, right. absolutely mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, awesome. Who like really humanizes the character, and you feel sorry for him that he gets so beat up by society, and you you understand why he breaks. Yes. Then you get the Jared Leto version of the Joker, which how would you describe him? Well, I mean, it's just a testament to the job he did. He gets what sixty seconds. Yeah, yeah. And he's we're we're putting him up with guys that made entire movies. So you know that's a testament to how well he did. I think he redeemed yeah. himself. Oh, you yeah. totally well, redeemed <laughs> yourself. <laughs> There's a town over there. <laughs> I mean, if we if if Suicide Squad was included in the in this topic, I would I would have said my take on Jared Leto is. Not a good start, but he, like you just said, redeemed himself yeah. mm-hmm. when Justice League came along. But after seeing this five minutes of him, Doug, I mean, what, what, what's the category? What do you put him into? Like, what, when, like, what type of Joker he is? Yeah, I, I, I've always. Or do we said just this. not have enough sample size yet to make that? Well, I think hmm. he's definitely a mix between a sociopath and an anarchist, and he is definitely focused on Batman. 
it's almost you you can really get their love hate relationship. Mm-hmm. I thought a really awesome line in that whole thing was he said, "You need me." Yes, yes, and that's isn't what, that so true? That's that's and that's what Joker says in every version that. You need me, and I need you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in Dark Knight, he says, "You complete me." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I think is even more. So accurate. it's yeah. two sides of the same coin, right? You have two yeah. men who shaped by tragedy. Especially if you go back and you read the what was the comic you let me borrow? Killing joke. The Killing Joke. You see how they both had tragedy in their life. They yeah. responded differently, and in a way, they're all, they are the same person. Mm-hmm. They just took different path. Mm-hmm. If you and. You also can go back. We get another version of the Batman who drops, you know, a big f bomb at the end of that in the epilogue (laughs) that you wouldn't expect, but you can see the anger. Like he's, he's like you just feel like he wanted to reach over and choke him, but he knew he couldn't. And he made a reference in there about killing Harley Quinn. Yes, and Joker made a reference in there about killing Robin. Yes. There's yep. a lot of hate yeah. there. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Back yeah. and forth. How Harley Quinn made him promise that you were going to die slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Angry enough to break his one rule. Yes. The yeah. thing about uh, Joker killing Robin, though, that's teased in Batman Superman, right? Like, yeah. He has his suit case. hanging yeah. up. In the well, back. It's a sta- was yeah, it there a suit is. Or a statue, wasn't it? A sta- a, no, it was his actual yeah, suit. Yeah, it was because I remember Joker. the trailers. No, Chris that was O'Donnell. The big, man. Yeah, that was the big <laughs> Easter egg moment. Yeah. Here we go. Going <laughs> right back to. Metal, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> going right back to Joel Schumacher. Oh, no, the metal. It's holy and it's rusted. <laughs> well, um, so this that last scene was actually a brand new filmed scene. That was not there before. Mm-hmm. So when I say this movie, he filmed ninety percent of the movie. That that little bit was the last of the ten percent that he had that he felt like he needed to film. Mm-hmm. So that was literally the only new shots. So and, but I, I had one more thing to add. Excuse there. me. When you were talking about <laughs> you were talking about that epilogue, you were saying he used the anti-life equation yeah. to control Superman. Oh, they said that? No. Nathan th- said, that. said that. I thought they said I don't agree with it. Oh, well, let's hear why. <laughs> well, here we go. The, I thought that was one of the reasons that Darkseid was able to control him. No. The reason... <laughs> well, excuse me. Staying correct. You're excused. <laughs> okay, so... This is going to be good. I said good day. <laughs> the, the, this, is, this is just my take on it. Now, I think he... Uses the death of Lois Lane, and that's the one thing. I mean, he's Superman had already been through so much watching his father die, you know, and all the tough choices he makes for everyone else. He got resurrected, you know, and when he sees Lois die, that's gonna he's got dark side is using that to say, If you help me get this anti life equation, I'll bring her back. Uh, and I think that's why he's completely makes 180. Makes a deal with the devil. Yes. Mm. It's, it's completely 180, and he turns against him because, you know, they teasing it. They tease You don't know who's coming. You think it's dark side. It's like, oh, if we stay out here too long, he's going to find us, you know. Did you notice uh, Cyborg? You know, it looked like he had the war machine gun mm-hmm. come up on his shoulder and everything at the end of it, too. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was going to mention this. The, the scene where he's holding... Lois mm-hmm. and Darkseid comes up. What does he put his hand on his shoulder? I think that's what he does. Mm-hmm. That whole scene was taken straight out of Man of Steel when 
Superman killed Zod. They literally just clipped it and added Darkseid behind him. Wow. They oh. said if you go back and compare the two scenes, it's literally the same thing. Zack Snyder said that's what he did. He clipped it. Interesting. Because they, they, they didn't want to have to, to finish that scene. They didn't want to have to come bring Henry Cavill back in to film as Superman wow. again. He'd have to shave again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we may, I mentioned two big twists. The first one was the epilogue that we got. And then I thought the second big twist was the Martian Manhunter. I thought that was a cool addition to and that's this. the same actor that played uh, Swanwick, General Swanwick in, in Man, Man of Steel, Steel, and then he becomes Secretary of Defense. Yeah, right. And it, I don't know if there's any connection if it just happens to be the same actor, but I did. That voice was very recognizable to me. Yeah, I think they I think they just did it that way to show that he's he's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because um, a lot of people speculated when Man of Steel came out that that's who that that he was. Because when I first heard his voice, I was like, "Is this the same? You know, it, did he is he was he really the Martian Manhunter yeah. the whole time?" Yeah, but yeah, a lot of people speculated that he was okay. Lot, he's been there the whole time through. That's all of always it. been his mo too, because he can change in other people and try to manipulate yeah. the timeline. So is that who we think he is? Like, do we? Or do we know for sure? Or you think? Do you think he? Are you saying that maybe he's yeah. just pretending? Yeah. To be what that. I'm what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah. What I'm saying is it had me wondering because it's the same actor yeah. who played those characters. What was the Secretary of Defense Swanwick? Is yeah. I think that's what they're going with it. That he's okay. been there the whole as time. The Secretary that, that's the what general. I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like has finger on the pulse of everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the big question mark now is: Are we going to get any mo- more movies? Because it looks like right now it's dead in the water. From what I've well, from what I've heard, like literally right after it came out and, and it <clears throat> blew up, uh, Zack Snyder himself said that he has heard nothing from Warner Brothers at all. Wow! And he said he would he would he'd come back and do more, but he's heard nothing. And then Warner Brothers released a statement saying we have no plans at all. I think it's make stupid. You would else. think after the acclaim yeah. of the 2021... <laughs> I and don't I, want to admit defeat. I'm, as I was watching this version, the, and Derek already knows this, my main thought was, man, I would love to see this in a 16 by 9 ratio. Mm-hmm. And I know, Derek, you had said about how the, it had to do with the IMAX ratio, why it was on 4 by 3 Yeah, something, something to do I with mean, that. I mean, other yeah. than yeah. that... That was my thought. Was this is such a turnaround and such a redemption, and the the acclaim that I feel like it's received mm-hmm. because Zack Snyder was back at the helm. How can you not uh, take that as a as a as feedback to continue this and and build on stories that are established in this movie? Well, they've already greenlit to do another another Superman movie, like whole whole new story, like whole new cast, everything. Really? Yeah, they've already. Yeah. already oh wow! Just talking about. A new, no, no Henry like Cavill. and Henry Cavill. Yeah, just yeah. a whole, whole new... I think that's a mistake. That whole is. new series. <laughs> well, and we've got wow. another Batman coming out, too. Yeah. The Batman. Yeah, the Batman. Well, oh, the only, right. only thing about that Batman is it's supposed to go back like to the origin. very beginning. Yeah. yeah, like his first year, basically. So yeah. I'm going yeah. to be the one to say um, I had to eat some crow. Because when Batman Superman was announced... I'm sorry. And I heard... <laughs> and, and they made... The announcement that Ben Affleck was going to be Batman. Like, I was one of the first ones that came out. I was like, man, it's going to be ruined, not Ben Affleck. Like, and, and I have work. a counterpoint like, to that, but you go ahead, Derek. And yeah. I, I, I kept thinking, you know, he'll have a 
Boston accent, and like it'll just be, <laughs> it won't be good. But I'm telling you, I had to eat some crow, and I thought he did great as Batman. I what think, does that I think mean? Nathan needs an explanation crow. on me. I've eat never some heard crow. that, and I'll admit I need really? an explanation too. Yeah, I've, never, I've never heard that. I'm with you, Nathan. I've not heard pie? that either. Really? Yeah. yeah, I know, right? It's an old, it's just an old Southern expression I, that I don't know what the origin of, but basically what it means is that. <laughs> You are proven wrong, and yeah. you have to eat your own words. Yeah. Oh, how eat cool! I didn't. Pie. I never knew that. Okay. Yeah, and I've, it's tastes pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> For those of y'all listening, Nathan and I met eyes I was like, right when what? Derek said crow, and we we're like, huh? There you <laughs> go. Like, was there a crow? Okay. That's one of those old mountain hillbilly expressions that I <laughs> heard growing up. I always knew what it meant, but yeah. Um, well, Derek, I thought were, he did yeah. great. I thought he was a great yeah. Batman. I did too. And see, I, I remember a conversation you and I had at that time about Ben Affleck. And I remember hearing, I, I, I had similar feelings about, oh, Ben Affleck's going to be Batman. What did I miss? Like, or who missed what <laughs> mm-hmm. here? But then when I found out that he took the role as Batman contingent upon being allowed to be part of the writing team, because in Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck was one of the writers of the screenplay. The reason why that made me feel a lot better is because if any of y'all have ever seen Argo mm-hmm. from 2013, that's, oh, yeah. that's about yeah. the, the Iranian hostage crisis and the rescue of the, the six Americans that made it out. Ben Affleck wrote and directed that movie, yeah. which went on to win an Oscar for Best Film and Best Director. Mm. And yeah, that movie takes a lot of historical license. There are some historically inaccurate things, but the movie itself was certainly an Oscar-worthy, um, you know, concoction. Yeah, yeah. And so when I found out that Ben Affleck took that upon being allowed to be a writer, I felt way better about the role again because I had seen Argo and seen what he was capable of. And even then, I was blown away. I was like, "That was Ben Affleck doing all that," mm-hmm. you know. So. Well, that, that was my that take is, on it. That is one thing with Ben Affleck. He actually is an awesome director. Yeah. Like, I've seen a oh, lot yeah. of his directed movies, and he does an amazing job. I, Me, personally, I, I liked him, but I wasn't crazy about him. Um, Everybody has their favorite Batman, just yeah. like they yeah. have their favorite yeah. I Joker. actually, I mean, my, I, I, I love Superman. Michael Keaton, but I think Christian Bale Yeah, it's going to be hard to take Christian Bale. Doug's yeah. cl- uh, gritting his teeth over here, though. <laughs> I mean, personally, I think Adam West, but you know, no. <laughs> well, you know, there there were a lot of um, talk about after Dark Knight Rises. What's the not Dark Knight Rises? Um, what's the last Christian Bale? Dark Knight? Yeah, Rises. Dark Rise, Knight Dark Rises. Because I was with Bane. He was supposed to. There was talks of him coming back to play Batman again with Zack Snyder, but it just it just fell didn't through. Work out. Yeah. yeah, it just didn't happen. And like that Ghostbusters 3 movie that we never got. We got the video game. Oh, man. <laughs> never worked out. No, yeah. oh, no, no. We're not, we're not talking about that one, Preston. Yeah, yeah. We're not <laughs> talking about the bad one. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. We're going to we, block we, that out of our We heads. may all have to eat crow when uh, <laughs> the Batman comes out. We will see. <laughs> I mean, if it, if it's as good as the, the trailer, I mean, well, that doesn't really say much, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll uh, I'll touch real quick on the music of the movie, and I know if you guys have any thoughts on it, certainly chime in. Because with the with there being two different versions, twenty seventeen or Joss Whedon and um, Zack Snyder, 
we also had two different guys write the music for both movies. When um, Danny Elfman did the music for the 2017 release, like I said before, he's the same guy who's written the music for everything Tim Burton ever directed from Beetlejuice, Batman, Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas, Big Fish, Planet of the Apes. I mean, you name it, Danny Elfman did the music for it. If Tim Burton... Don't mention um, that Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Well, the music was phenomenal. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. (laughs) Zayas. That's a classic. So, you know, he did all of those. Oh, and also Danny Elfman did the music for the animated series from the 90s, too. Oh yeah, Which, and that was like the best, right? There. It was, and you know that, and that Clayface scene gave me nightmares. Um, now, but just like with certain other movie franchises that won't be mentioned, Star Wars prequels, the music <laughs> kept the head above water. You know, the music was what kept it from totally drowning, and um, and for example, in the 2017 version, Danny Elfman did use some some previous themes like he used the 1989 Batman theme in in some of the different scenes you can hear it in the scene where he meets commissioner gordon at the top of the building you can hear some of that theme it's it's kind of flavored in there on purpose and then he also quoted the john williams superman theme in the when when superman is f- fighting the other Justice League heroes. You know, when he's just been resurrected and he's figuring things out and he's fighting everybody, there's kind of a a dark, creepy version of the John Williams theme that's that's be it's it's really short. It's like maybe just a couple seconds long, but it it appears or it's it, it can be heard in that scene. Only you, Preston. Yeah, no. <laughs> well and I I, I admit I, I had to read up on some of this to because I want to do some research on you know how how you know, we have two completely different movies here that we're talking about, and again the music, the way it was put together and how it was written and who wrote it, is consistent with the contrast of how these movies are, and Danny Elfman did receive mixed reviews on his work on Justice League, but part of that was like what you said, Nathan, ninety percent of it had to be, or not had to be, but Joss Whedon came in, scrapped 90% of it. So when, when Zack Snyder had made his version of it, the, uh, the musician, the composer that was used, his, his stage name is Junkie XL. Uh, but his, his real name is, uh, Tom Hulkenborg. He's, uh, he's a Dutch composer. He had done the music, and he actually he does a lot of work with Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. as well. A lot of these movies that Hans Zimmer has done when it comes to the, the DC universe has been a collaboration between Hans Zimmer and Tom Hulkenborg and other people. They, they've been working together on these soundtracks. So anyway, he, Hulkenborg had written the soundtrack already to Justice League. Well, when Joss Whedon came along, he wanted Danny Elfman to write a completely new soundtrack as well. So all that music that Hulkenborg had written was also scrapped. So Danny Elfman was starting from scratch. And as great a composer as he is, he did receive some mixed reviews because of, you know, the callbacks of different movie themes. Yeah, now, yeah I thought it was cool that he used the 89 Batman theme and then quoted some of the Williams theme. But there's some reasons why I kind of agree that using those callback themes may not have been the best idea 
for the 2017. But getting to Junkie XL, the Tom Holkin board, um, he is a Dutch composer, and he's the guy who did the music for the Snyder Cut. Now, what he also did, too, was when, when Snyder was brought back to release his cut, Holkenborg scrapped his previous work, and he even started a completely new soundtrack for the, the Zack Snyder release. And Sounds like Tolkien writing The Hobbit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He wrote it exactly, like five yeah. times and threw it away. It started over again. Yep, exactly. That, and that's what happened here. Now, can you imagine finding those like in the, in the trash somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> ching, ching. Now, if anyone who's – most of us have never heard of this composer, but we have heard his music. If you're familiar with the 2002 remix of Elvis Presley's A Little Less Conversation, then you've heard Holkenborg's music. Which is in the – Ocean's Eleven. Yes, it is soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. that that is Junkie XL. Okay. That was that was kind of his breakout right there. That was his first kind of claim to fame uh, as a as a musician was the the Elvis remix of Less Conversation. Uh, he's also done previous work. Uh, he did Alita, Battle Angel, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, and he did the music for Godzilla versus Kong. He does a lot of collaboration with Hans Zimmer, Dark Knight Rises. Junkie XL collaborated on that and Inception. Nice. So those were both collaborative works between Hans Zimmer and Tom Holkenborg. And um, when he when he brought back Justice League with Snyder, like I said, he started from scratch. Now the music can consists of 54 tracks altogether, and it totals to three hours and 54 minutes, which breaks the longest record held from a certain 1959 movie, if anyone wants to crack a guess. Lawrence of Arabia? Charlton Heston. Oh, um, Ten Commandments? Ben-Hur. 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 I was going to say Planet That's, Apes. And <laughs> so it has the, the record for the longest soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, longest three soundtrack. hours and fifty four minutes. Three hours and fifty four minutes. So this is so this is the longest soundtrack. Wow! And so that record, that. yeah, that record was held for sixty two years by Ben Hur, and then this was broken. Uh, and then the score features reprisals from previous DC movies. You can hear, uh, you can clearly hear the Man of Steel theme uh, in the Superman scenes. He uses some of the Wonder Woman themes and also some Batman versus Superman themes. Now the um, there's a track on the on the soundtrack. If you were to look up the album online, Apple Music or Amazon, wherever, there's a certain track that's called The Crew at War Power. And this is described by Hulkenborg as the national anthem for Snyder's Justice League. And th- this is played during the intermission of the movie. So if you're listening to the music at the intermission, that's the kind of the anthem or the main theme of the Justice League. Some of the highlights... I th- there were like three highlights from the soundtrack that I wanted to point out as well. Number one being the track that I just mentioned, the the anthem and the main theme. Um, it's you know the the crew at War Power is what it's called, and it's it's the most listened to theme on the soundtrack. Uh, there's also this. Do y'all remember the scene where Aquaman is going back into the ocean and the villagers start singing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is an Icelandic song, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right because I had to look this up and like listen to it. But it's called like Visser Vetsenda Rose, 
and which tra- I think roughly translates into like something about a rose, I believe. But um, the this is sung as Aquaman goes back into the ocean. And after he talks with Bruce Wayne, it's a traditional Icelandic song that was taken from a 19th century poem. And it's a traditional lullaby in Iceland. Um, and it was kind of a way to make this effect of how the village has built Aquaman to be kind of this quasi mythical figure. And so they're, they're singing this song as he's going back into sea. Um, the poem I is like this is several verses and it almost doesn't, it, to me, didn't read like it really had anything to do with the sea, but um, it's it's really interesting to look up. And then the last thing, at the very end, as the credits are rolling, you can hear Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah being sung. Oh, yeah. And but it's not obviously it's not by Leonard Cohen. It's sung by Alison Crow. And now that's really significant. And this connects with Zack Snyder's personal tragedy of why he originally backed out and had a different director come in. Well, Alison Crow is a friend of Zack Snyder. She sang Hallelujah. She sang that song at Autumn Snyder's funeral. And uh, that was Autumn Snyder's favorite song. So that's why we see it at the end. And that's why at the very end, you see the caption that says, For For Autumn. Autumn. And so that was the significance of having Hallelujah. That was mainly because it was Autumn's favorite song. And that was done at her funeral. Um, And then just the last thing I was going to say is while Danny Danny Elfman is a force to be reckoned with, he was was not able to truly shine in Justice League, the the 2017 version, because he relied on callbacks from those previous films. Like when you hear the, the old 1989 Batman theme and stuff, those are fantastic classical themes that can never be replaced. But when you think about how Hans Zimmer did the music, he was able to make a new Batman theme mm-hmm. for Justice yeah. League, even though he did Dark Knight. He was able to create a new Superman theme, even though he felt like he was in John Williams' shadow. You know, So you were able... But at the same time, Danny Elfman, I don't feel like he was dealt a good hand. Either. Well, and also, uh, it, so. it, the, the 89 theme does not go with... The tone. Stuff. The tone, right. yeah. Yeah. It, just, and, it doesn't. And that's where... That's the last point I was going to make, <clears throat> is that... Like the tone, you had a certain tone for the Dark Knight trilogy. You have a certain tone for the Michael Keaton movies. I mean, the 1989 Batman had Prince in it. Come on. Exactly. And, <laughs> Lawrence? And, yeah. <laughs> and see, the, the, the music of Dark Knight, you've got Hans Zimmer kind of creating this ninja figure. Of Batman, yeah, uh, a very, uh, a very kind of you know, I mean, Vanilla shadows, ice. yeah. <laughs> and then Ben Affleck's Batman to me, and I and I do believe that the the appropriate music on the twenty twenty one reflects this. It's just it blunt force trauma is mm-hmm. is what yeah. I feel like. Yeah, it's like he's with, bur- he's burnt out, right? You know, and so he's going to do everything he can. Yeah. So anyway, that that was the whole spiel on the music and how the soundtracks were were contrasted and how they were different and how even the versions of the movie so were there consistent. there was one last thing that came up at the end. Lex Luthor. Yep. Ugh. Aaron Eisenberg. I don't like him. I know he's not the most favored <laughs> Lex Luthor. Says yeah. the guy but, that had no complaints about the movie over here. I can't help that. That's just, but uh, he got two or three minutes in there. He brings, is it Deadshot? Mm-hmm. Onto the ship. And we get to see that he now knows Batman's real name, and he tells Deadshot the name. So obviously they're setting it up for the next episode. And see, that's another reason why you want to see 
more movies come out with this, and yeah, you want to see this universe continue. So they don't explain how he got out of the asylum, but no, he's out. You and it's and it's Arkham, it's yeah. Arkham. More more Batman stuff. Yeah, more Batman stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Zack Snyder was actually in his movie. He there made was, an appearance. He made an appearance. Oh, cool. There was a scene where Lois is... Actually, I think it was right at the beginning. Um, she was walking out of the coffee shop, I guess, on her on her way to uh, Superman's memorial. memorial. Zack Snyder's sitting in the coffee shop. Like, literally... Um, oh, that's cool. You can see him... Oh, I see it. Right yeah, around I'm looking at it right now. On How Nathan's funny. Phone. <laughs> uh, kind of reminds me of Peter Jackson. You know, he yeah. made a cameo appearance in The Return of the King. He's one of the pirates on one of the ships that well, gets decimated well, right, by the yeah. Army of the Dead. Hmm. Wasn't he also in um, Fellowship? Wasn't he the gatekeeper guy? Um, or, or am I thinking of something else? I know he's in Return of the King. He may. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he is in Fellowship because as he walks through the town, he's eating a carrot. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Oh, what do you mean funny. the gatekeeper? Like I'm the guy. The key master. <laughs> no, the gatekeeper's <laughs> an old man, and the gate comes down and squashes him. The oh, Nazgul okay. will kill him. Okay, I guess I got it mixed up. I was thinking that was him. I'm talking about the the the, the town where At the, the end of the prancing pony. The prancing pony. Yeah, that early in the movie. Peter Jackson walks <laughs> down the street, and he's he's munching on a carrot. No, I, I was thinking that he was the, the gatekeeper. village that's of Bree. Th- that's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. Village of Bree, like the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, something we didn't touch on that much was what about that? After, you know, we started into it lightly about Superman's resurrection. The way Zack Snyder, when he brought him back and and then the whole fight scene where he's fighting all of them. You just see how he sets the tone in the very beginning scene when he goes back and you see Superman after he's dying, just his breath. His mm-hmm. scream is what activates the boxes. Yeah, going yeah. across the planet. I mean, just that one little thing. Yeah, that, that was a like a beautiful scene. Just him screaming in the shockwave. Yeah, and they'd hear it on the wind. You know, with the yeah the Atlanteans and Amazons, they all heard it. Like, whoa. Speaking of resurrection of yeah Superman, so this is where we make the segue into the Christian connections. And if you listen to our previous episode on Man of Steel. You can go back and do that if you haven't, but obviously Zack Snyder sets up Superman in a very unmistakable way that it's to be associated with with Christ. I mean, the imagery is just so overt, you can't miss it. So the big theological connection that we would draw in Justice League is the, the resurrection scene. Now, obviously, afterward, the comic book story goes on its own thing, but it's that's the, the easy connection is that just as... Uh, Superman is set up that way. They play that out. And, of course, where do they get that from? Well, they get that from the Bible. They get yeah. it from the New Testament with with Jesus and his resurrection. Um, so I could spend forever talking about that, but um, there's like all kinds of evidence. If you have never examined the historical and the archaeological evidence supporting the resurrection of Christ, it's... It's astounding how much is out there on it, and um, it's what basically is the trump card of Christianity over every other religion in the world uh, because uh, 
Christianity not only grounds itself in history, but could have been easily disproven because all you have to do is produce the body of Jesus and the whole thing's over with. But, of course, they were never able to do that. But there are been many, many people down through history, starting with, uh, you know, like Simon Greenleaf, uh, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, Frank Morrison. I could go on and on naming names of people who tried to set out to disprove Christianity. And as they started looking at the mountain of historical and archaeological evidence, their arguments against the Bible crumbled. And, of course, the whole linchpin of everything is the resurrection of Christ, which, um, trust me, if somebody wanted to disprove that, uh, they have had their chance to do it and they haven't been able to. But if you ever want to look at the evidence for that, great book, great resource that you can go to is uh, The Case for Christ. It's written by Lee Strobel. He was a, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune back in the 80s, and his wife actually got converted to Christianity. And he was an atheist at the time, and he took offense to that, and so he said, well, I'm going to cure my wife of her Christianity virus. I'm going to disprove uh, the Bible. And so he set out on this two-year investigation to try and disprove Christianity. Uh, well, it backfired on him, and instead of writing the book that disproved Christianity, he wrote the book called The Case for Christ, which presented the evidence that he discovered and which led him to faith in Christ. But that's a fantastic book. Um, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it digital, also in hard copy. You can also look at uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's written by Josh McDowell. He tried to do the same thing years before Lee Strobel as a legal student, and, and he ended up converting to Christ. Uh, but those are two great resources that you can look at. But in Lee Strobel's book, he points out five, what he calls the five E's of Easter, so he looks at the execution, he looks at eyewitness testimony, he looks at early testimony, he looks at um, the empty tomb, he looks at the emergence of the church, and I think that's five, but he uses those uh, five E's to kind of formulate his whole argument there, um, pointing to the resurrection, so like with the execution, he proves that Jesus actually died because you can't have a resurrection unless someone's really dead. And so he cites um, passages from the Gospels, and he also cites the 1986 study that was done by the Journal for American Medical Association, which goes into all of the medical details that explains crucifixion and the death. And, in fact, um, Mel Gibson also used part of that when he made his Passion of the Christ, which I think he's supposed to be making a part two. He's supposed to be doing a... a I had heard something yeah, about that. Yeah, something else about that, uh, about the Paul in the book of Acts, the resurrection. Um, and so with the execution, he talks about that. He sets that up, and then he also disproves what's called the swoon theory, which is the swoon theory is um, kind of an argument that's been proposed by legal uh, liberal scholars through the years that said, well, Jesus really didn't die. He just passed out because of the trauma, and um, he woke up after being uh, sort of physically revived there in the tomb and somehow rolled the stone away, and and there you have Christianity. So he disproves that by talking about the execution. He talks about, also in the book, the, the early eyewitness accounts, saying how that um, you know the, the Christian testimony of the resurrection is, is documented very soon afterward, 
not years and years and years, but um, just a, a couple of years. Just um, he goes to like First Corinthians fifteen verses three and four, where we have that great statement by Paul: "I delivered uh, to you a first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day." Uh, so he shows that that was actually an ancient creed known in the in the early church, and Paul wrote that in about uh, fifty some A.D. And if the resurrection takes place in the year 30, you're really only looking at a 25-year time gap. And so that creed was already in existence before Paul wrote it. So you have that eyewitness testimony that was being passed around. Also in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses who um, saw the risen Christ and touched him and had you know conversation with him. And Lee Strobel makes this great comment in his book. He said that if you were to take those... 515 eyewitnesses that are mentioned there and interview each one of them for just 15 minutes on a, in a court of law about what they saw. If you could cross-examine them, he said that uh, you would be in court for 129 straight hours. Wow. Uh, and, of course, after hearing 129 straight hours of people giving the same testimony, you know, you would probably walk away convinced. Anyway, I don't have time to go through everything in the book, uh, but just kind of giving you the highlights. He talks about the empty tomb. He talks about um, the emergence of the church, like the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who if you read the book of Acts, you know that he was a skeptic. He hated Christians. He was putting them to death, and then he's converted to Christianity in Acts chapter 9 after he has an encounter with the risen Christ, and God chooses him and uses him as the missionary to plant the gospel, and so he, he talks about um, how the emergence of the church is a complete miracle, because you have all of the apostles like Paul and then the disciples who saw the risen Christ and went to their deaths preaching that. And nobody would go to their death preaching a lie, something that they knew was false. And yet when you yeah. look at all that they suffered and went through. Um, and when that, you find out the manner in which oh, yeah. they died, yeah. it really opens your eyes. Yeah. So the great Christian connection for the, uh, the Justice League is the resurrection motif, which, um, you know, obviously we want to challenge you if you're skeptic out there and uh, you aren't considering yourself a person of faith, look at the resurrection and weigh the evidence out. I mean, really study it and look into it, and I think you will also be convinced. Personally, myself, I did that. Uh, when I was a college student, I was challenged in my faith. I grew up going to church, but when I got to college, I was... Um, I sat in a New Testament class where basically everything that I learned going to church was flipped upside down and holes were poked in, in it. And so I had to really investigate and know what I believed and why I believed it. And I myself went on a about a two-year journey of really investigating to make sure that, hey, is this real? Because if it is real, it demands my life. And if it's not real, then I don't want to waste my time with it. And one of the biggest conclusions that I came away with after doing that investigation myself is that, hey, to be a Christian, I don't have to take my brain out at the door. Like, it's it's reasonable, it's rational, it's supported by incredible evidence, and I'm sure that if you're a skeptic out there, if you take the time and do your homework and look into this, you will find uh, that Christianity is not only true, uh, but it is life-changing, and that uh, Christ is real. And so... We point that out to you because the best stories, the ones that we love the most, like the Justice League or the, the superheroes, the movies that we talk about, they all borrow 
they're great storylines from the Bible. <laughs> uh, because the Bible tells the story of history. History is his story. And there is a hero who's come to save the day. His name is Jesus, and he's coming back. And he's going to set the record straight. And he is the ultimate hero of all time. So, I don't know about you guys, but I've had fun. You guys yeah. have fun? Oh, yes, yeah. sir. Blast. Yeah. Well, and then the other cool point, too, Derek, is being a Christian and going to church together, You here we are able to <clears throat> embrace and enjoy pop culture at the same time. Yeah. It's something that I think complements the other. Well, right. So, the whole, the whole uh, narrative <laughs> of the Bible is redemption. Yeah. That's the whole that's the whole point of the Bible is that paradise was lost and paradise has been regained through Jesus Christ his death burial resurrection and that's what our call is as Christians in the world is to be redemptive to take the things that are may not seem like they have a connection or to take things that are broken or messed up and redeem them and that's what we can do with pop culture now obviously not everything is is worth our attention, but those things that we can, where we can redeem them, we can see the connection and point other people to that. I think we have a license to do that. Oh yeah, because um, Paul says in the New Testament, he says, "I become all things to all people that I might reach some." So you use whatever springboard, whatever avenue you have within reason, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether it's books, or whatever pop culture has. You use that avenue as a way to share the gospel and make mm. that bridge from something that may not seem related to something that is of most importance. Yeah. If it's about Zack Snyder, we're going to yeah. use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I, I can even remember a couple of situations in our own church where I, I, I mentioned something to someone who you know, may be new to our church saying, well, oh, yeah, me and Derek are huge Walking Dead fans, or you know, I'm a big Star Trek fan. You know, Doug and Nathan are comic book fans, and I have seen folks light up when they yeah. find that out and again using avenues any way that you can trying to help people up, to see huh? the the connections there and that these stories that we get into they reveal these uh these stories and these longings and these um these inbuilt hardwired desires in our heart and they're not just stories they're things that god has put there as yeah. clues to lead us back to him at least that's the kind of way that I look at it. Yeah. You just have to have eyes to see it, right? Absolutely. So I guess nice. that concludes our yeah, Zack Snyder Justice League cut. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Any you final guys want to say anything before we close? I know I've been hogging the mic over here. No, no, no. Yeah, and I did with the music, so. Yeah. The only thing I guess is Doug's wrong all the time, but, you know, other than that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Here, can <laughs> you feel the love, love tonight? tonight. <laughs> Just, just accept Throwing it. Throwing daggers over here. That's right. I threw some swords. Thank you. So we'll be back. Um, who knows when, but hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, we'll be looking at another great movie, hopefully drawing those connections back to the Christian faith. This has been a wonderful time here on the Inner Light Project. We are the generation that was born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. That generation that remembers what it was like before the internet and can bridge both worlds. We'll see you next time. Peace.